Good morning. Great to see you all, and good morning to those of you who are watching online or on demand. Uh, welcome. We are in week five of a six-week series called Your Story in God's Global Mission. And uh, the Bible calls a church, calls God's people to go to the ends of the earth and if you look at what Jesus says, what we're supposed to be doing with that, we're supposed to be making disciples. Uh, we're supposed to be witnesses to what Jesus has done. We're supposed to be proclaiming that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And um, not all of us necessarily can go or will go, but every single one of us can take the gospel to the ends of the earth without leaving home. And we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, but we're going to, first of all, dig into, or as part of that, we're going to dig into Acts chapter 2, the first uh, 13 verses or so, and we'll uh, learn as we uh, think about God bringing all the nations to the first disciples uh, of Jesus. So because understanding the Bible uh, doesn't have to be a mystery, neither does your part in God's story, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and there are Bibles in the seat rack in front of you here uh, in, the, uh, in this worship center, so you can grab one of those, and it's on page 1091 in those Bibles. So we're going to pray as we always do for the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word to us, and this prayer is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 9, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we trust in the promises of your word. You've shown us that in Jesus, we have everything that we need. Thank you for the abundant blessings of life with you, and by your Holy Spirit, guide us and give us understanding as we look to your word. Open our eyes so that uh, we can see what you have for us and teach us to love your truth and to walk in your ways so that we can point others to you. May our lives tell the story of your love and your grace for your glory for your kingdom. Father, we continue to raise up uh, the war in Ukraine, the people of Ukraine, the people of Ukraine that are not just in Ukraine and suffering, but those who are refugees, the millions of refugees, the countries that are taking them in. We pray that you provide for all their needs. Father, we pray in the aftermath of the Buffalo shooting for the people who were directly impacted by that, people who lost family, but also, Father, the ramifications of that kind of shooting that it has throughout the entire nation, sometimes even throughout the whole world. I pray that we as your people would counter the hate and the toxic uh, thinking uh, that pervades our world, that we would counter that with the love of Christ, that we would live it in our daily lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we've been doing every week, we've had one of our missions partners uh, read our scripture for us and talk a little bit about their uh, ministry. And so we're going to have that in just a few moments. Just want to set up the passage. We're looking at Acts chapter 2. Acts, the book of Acts is volume 2 of Luke. Luke is the gospel of Luke. It's volume 1, then volume 2. And as we came to the end of Luke, we started there a few weeks ago. Uh, Jesus said, the whole Bible is about me, and the whole Bible is about the mission to all the nations, to bless all the nations. 
And so in today's passage, it's a big turning point in the story of God when the Holy Spirit uh, comes on the disciples, and, uh, and we're going to see how God orchestrates that entire, that entire scene. So let's watch the video. Hello, my name is Gregory Larson, and I'm a pastor and missionary in Los Angeles, California. I work with a missions organization called Reliant Mission. Reliant is an evangelical um, organization that plants missional outreaches all around the United States and around the globe. My particular ministry and church is called Kairos Hollywood. Um, we meet in the East Hollywood neighborhood of Los Angeles. East Hollywood is over 50% Latino, uh, and it is adjacent to neighborhoods like Koreatown, Little Bangladesh, Little Armenia, Thai Town. So East Hollywood is um, just this wonderful, eclectic, strange, very, very needy, but creative and fun place to live and to minister. Some of the things that we've done over the years at Kairos Hollywood is we've done a lot of coaching in the neighborhood. Um, coaching specifically with basketball and soccer, but we've also done sports camps for kids. Um, we've also partnered with another church in the neighborhood over the years to, um, to do a daily um, meal program, a daily feeding for the homeless. Um, and so every morning, 10 a.m. and every uh, uh, evening at 5 p.m., we're feeding hundreds of individuals in the neighborhood. Um, also, uh, we've done a lot of tutoring in the neighborhood. Um, I personally teach GED classes, and, um, and so we've done a lot of tutoring with these uh, GED students. Um, also, we, uh, Kairos Hollywood um, really focuses on, on uh, evangelism and discipleship. I do want to say this real briefly. Um, from my family and I, I just want to say thank you so much. Five Oaks has been uh, just a partner with us that has been committed to us over the years, and we're extremely grateful for your belief in us and belief in what God is doing. So thank you for that. Um, I do want to read today's scripture, and this is out of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them, each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. We were just uh, looking at a video back. Um, we were looking for something else, and we saw a video that we filmed 11 years ago with him, and he looks exactly the same. <laughs> it's amazing. So... Um, before ascending, uh, Jesus told his disciples to wait. He said, wait. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, On one occasion when he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which 
you have heard me speak about. For John, the Bap John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, waiting can be very, very difficult. It can be irritating. It can be excruciating, especially if you're like at a corner and there is a machine there telling you to wait. 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 You know, it makes you just, I'm, I'm going to go. I, you know, I don't want to hear this anymore. But as the passage opens up, well, we're, we're, they are waiting. And so if you look at verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They're all together in one place because they are waiting. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit uh, to come. It, the whole story of God is filled with, with waiting. Uh, there is there's macro waiting as you wait. Uh, you know, you have a promise to Abraham, and how long? How many hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes? And then Jesus comes, and there is still waiting for his return and for the establishment of the new creation. Then there's micro waitings. In our lives, there are prayers that we pray that we, the, the answer is not yes, the answer is not no. There's a lot of times when you just know the answer is no. There's just this waiting, which is a, really the answer is, as far as we can tell, maybe. And we're waiting, and it's painful. And God's maybe may be the most difficult answer to a prayer for us to hear. Uncertainty is very uncomfortable because we're ready to move on with whatever it is, even if the answer might be tragic. Uh, so many times, if we wait for a long, long time, we're ready to move on. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's the exciting thing. There's no, more, there's no more waiting for the believer. There's no maybe. There's not a no. There's only God's yes. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit at their new birth. So if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. There's no more waiting for the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to our mission to the nations... The Holy Spirit is at the core of that. It's not possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit propels our mission. As you look through the book of Acts, you see the mission being propelled uh, by the Holy Spirit. There is uh, oftentimes said, the, uh, the book of Acts, if you look at some older versions, the full title is the Acts of the Apostles. And it's oftentimes said it should be renamed the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that propels the mission. And then the Holy Spirit emboldens and empowers the missionaries. So right after this text that we just read, Peter does this sermon where just a few weeks ago he was denying Jesus. And now, full of the Holy Spirit, he, he baptized in the Holy Spirit, he preaches the gospel. Uh, and 3,000 people come to faith. And those 3,000 people make up the very first, first church because the Spirit emboldens him and the Spirit empowers his ministry. And we have the same Holy Spirit emboldening and powering us. So the next few verses after verse 1 where they're waiting not only recount the beginning of the Christian missionary enterprise, they also offer an opportunity to think more deeply about biblical interpretation. So I just want to spend a few moments before we get really practical at the very end. So here's a few things to keep in mind about biblical interpretation. Three ways to deepen your understanding of Scripture as you read it. And this passage is a great illustration of it. So one of them is to click on the links. Click on the links. So back in 2017, Jordan Peterson uh, did a series of talks on the Bible. Uh, 
I don't think he was then, I don't think he is now as far as I know, a person who professes to be a follower of Christ, but he was pretty intrigued with the wisdom in the Bible, and somehow he came across some of the realities of the Bible and how it hyperlinks, it's a hyperlinked text, and he compared it to kind of, um, compared it to Wikipedia, where you're reading along and then it mentions other people, and you can hit the link and it'll take you to another article and so on. And he was talking about the Bible being the first hyperlinked book. And, um, and we're going to come back to this whole idea of hyperlinking a lot when we start our series, especially in the fall on the book of Genesis. We've talked around here a lot about how the Bible is meditative literature. It's meditative literature. It's not meant to be like sped read or just get the information that's there, but to stop and chew on what you're reading and make connections to the rest of the Bible. Links in the Bible often reveal layers of meaning. Unfortunately, they're not just underlined, touch it, and it takes you to other aspects of it. You're wearing that. Can't believe it. Anyways, um, where was I? Yeah, links often reveal layers of meaning. But uh, the reality is you can read this passage and you can understand this passage without knowing anything about the links, without really knowing the rest of the story. But when you know the links in the story, when you know what this is drawing from, these rich traditions and ideas, words and teachings and events, it helps you see so much more in the scripture. You need to be able to uh, click on the links. And so in your sermon application guide in question number six, you're gonna have uh, uh, an experience in doing that. I could have done that for you in the sermon, but you're gonna get to do that. And so even if your group, small group isn't meeting this week or you're not in a small group or you're not in a five oak small group, I want to encourage you to look at question number six and, and just spend some time meditating on this passage in light of so many events that lead to this day, and you'll see these links, and it'll deepen your understanding of the passage. The Bible is meant to be read slowly. It's meditative literature. It's meant to be read slowly and repeatedly so that we're immersed in its stories, in its words, in its way, in its teaching. It's meant to be read thoughtfully, making connections, clicking on the links. And when thinking about reading the Bible more deeply, it's also important to understand that literal isn't always literal. Literal isn't always literal. So uh, I don't know if you've noticed, I remember one of our staff from years ago, um, our youth pastor for 12 years, Tim Bubar, talked about this a lot. Uh, but he, he would comment on the fact that the word literal is most of the time incorrectly used. We, we use literal when it's unnecessary. We use the word literal when it's inaccurate. So if I'm very specific and I say, hey, there were, 100, there were literally 133 people at the event. The word literal is unnecessary. It's obvious. I'm being very specific, right? You know, you gave an exact number. Or how many times have you heard something like this? My head literally exploded. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it literally explo exploded. And once you see this, you're going to see it everywhere. I'm sorry, I've done this to you. You're gonna, it's going to drive you a little crazy, and you're going to want to go into a little rant about it. But be careful. You will do it, even though you know you're not supposed to do it. I'll do it several times in this sermon, I'm sure. So the reason I say um, 
the, the, the problem with literal, the word literal is we use the word literal to explain our understanding of the Bible, uh, a way of reading, uh, a biblical interpretation. We use the word literal oftentimes, uh, and we use it for a very particular purpose. Um, but there are like so many exceptions to it that I don't find it to be that helpful of a word. So I brought this cup um, that I just, in, it was hanging around the office and I mentioned it last night and uh, Pam, not, not Pam, uh, Peg who works for us said, that's my cup you're talking about. And uh, so when you're done with it, you can pass it back to me. But it says I before E, except when you're, now these are all E before I words. Except when your foreign neighbor, Keith, received eight counterfeit beige sleighs from feisty, caffeinated weightlifters. Weird. <laughs> you know, just the English language, I feel so sorry for anybody who has to try to learn it. Um, so, uh, but here's, here's how the term literal is used. This is from a reputable website explaining how people who respect the Bible, believe in the Bible's authority, believe it's inspired by God, um, how they speak of biblical interpretation. So biblical literalism is a method of interpreting scripture that holds that, except in places where the text is obviously allegorical, poetic, or figurative, it should be taken literally. Now, the, the purpose of doing that is that so many passages in scripture, or so many movements, and, and what oftentimes happens, there's, there's uh, a slipping away of biblical authority, and what winds up happening is people start reading the Bible figuratively. And when do they read it figuratively? Well, they read it figuratively when what it's teaching is inconvenient. <laughs> or they read it figuratively when what it's teaching is, well, culturally difficult. And, you know, if I have to live that, I'm going to really stand out and I don't want to stand out, you know, that kind of a thing. So the whole idea of using literal is, is good in that way because we don't want to do that. We don't want to just kind of, you know, things we don't like, things that are difficult, just move them out of the way. The problem is there are so many exceptions, more than when the Bible is being specifically poetic or figurative or all that sort of thing. I could give you a lot of examples, but this passage gives you a great example. And that's why I'm talking about this right now. Because one of the things that you find in Hebrew literature, I mean, in a big way, is what we would call exaggeration. Uh, it's everywhere. Uh, but it's understood by the Hebrew people, the people who are reading this. Uh, that it is a way of talking. If you don't like the word exaggeration, use the word hyperbole. It sounds a little bit, you know, like, oh, then it's okay. It's hyperbole, not exaggeration. But uh, in, the, in this passage, and to save time, I'm not going to read it, but it talks about all these God-fearing, uh, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So some debate, are they people that are living there? Are they people that are there for Passover? It's probably both. And so you remember uh, Greg was reading all those uh, strange-sounding names, several of them strange-sounding names. Like, is it, what did he say, Phrygia or Phrygia? I don't know. Um, but uh, while he's reading all those, you've got people from every nation, Luke says, under heaven. So I've got a map here, and in the kind of a dark red-type color, 
are the various, not just nations, but areas, sometimes people groups that are mentioned. So you can see with the Roman Empire, it, it's kind of comprehensive. He's, he's saying, you know, all the nations are there. But if you were back with Luke and say, really, Luke, all the nations, do you think there were people from like some of those places north of, of Rome that, uh, that every once in a while, you know, that we, we have skirmishes with? Were they there? I think Luke would have looked at you and go, what are you, what are you talking about? Of course, not every nation. I'm, I'm making a point. I'm, I'm recalling the nations. We're supposed to go to the nations, but here in Jerusalem on that day are the nations. So I think he would, he would look at you and go, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. But on the other hand, if you were to be able to go back in time and you were to be able to explain to Luke that there are nations in places that no one in that world knows about. There are nations in what is today North America and South America. There are nations in islands off of China and you know the, the Far East. There are entire nations, and they weren't there. And uh, you would say, so Luke, what do you say to that? I think Luke would have gone, wow. <laughs> you know, if, if you had a way to convince him that what you're saying is true, because that would just sound so crazy. I mean, just even the idea that the world is like this would have sounded crazy to him. And so, let's say you convince him. You say, well, were you in error? Did you make a mistake? Are you untrustworthy? Is what you're writing untrustworthy? I think, look at you, well, I, I was geographically, yeah, I, I guess I didn't get it right. But that's not my point. My, my point, again, is to recall the promises to Abraham and the mission of the church and, and to make the point that people from all over the world that we knew are there. So no, if you wanted a geography lesson, that wasn't what I was doing. I may have been wrong on geography, um, but I wasn't wrong on my main point. I, I think that's how he would answer. I really honestly believe that that is how he would answer it. And so literal isn't always literal. And I can, we, we could spend literally another couple of hours <laughs> looking at example after example, you know, um, of this. The whole town came to the house. Really, little, little Grandma Grace, who can't walk, came to the house in that town when it says the whole town? No, because literal isn't always literal. Remember, number two, remember that when God communicates with us, he's always stooping to our level. Theologians use the word condescending to our level. He works with what we know, and he works with what we think we know. And if God were still inspiring scripture today, it would be the same thing. We, we think, as moderns, we think we know everything. I mean, we can admit some things we don't know, but there are things that we think we know that we really don't know. <laughs> Uh, that we've, we're getting wrong, and, uh, and we'll, we'll learn about it, um, or our grandchildren will, will learn about it. God works with what we know or what we think we know. He doesn't, for some reason in the Scripture, and it's not that difficult to figure out, doesn't correct their understanding of geography. He doesn't uh, correct their understanding of disease or anatomy, since the brain the, the mind is in the heart, not in the brain. That's how that whole world understood it. 
It's not correcting science in general as the Bible goes on. So we need to remember that whether it was today or back in what we call ancient times, God works with what he has. He's not constantly trying to kind of like correct all those kinds of things. That's not the purpose of Scripture. The Bible, we need to always remember it's both divine and human in origin. Both divine and human in origin. Biblical inspiration, except in some rare cases, is not dictation. It never purports itself that people are just kind of like getting in a quiet room and listening as God speaks and writing in the language of God. Okay, there's always interpretation that's taking place from one language to another. Biblical inspiration is not dictation. Luke, for example, he lists what his sources are in Luke chapter 1. He doesn't list the Holy Spirit dictating to him as one of those sources. So this human and divine nature of Scripture creates what can be perceived as some tensions that sometimes we can't exactly resolve. And when we overcorrect, as we often do in our movement, we overcorrect by focusing on the divine nature while neglecting the human origins of the Bible, sometimes we create really completely unnecessary crises of faith in people. And on top of that, we disrespect what the Bible actually presents itself to be. That's the key. What does the Bible present itself to be? Let the Bible tell you and show you what it means that all Scripture is inspired by God. And if you do this, you're going to read the Bible more faithfully. Um, ironically, in our desire uh, not to leave anything up to subjective experience, we have read the Bible very subjectively as modern people to our subjective way of understanding things, expecting certain things from the Bible. It's not even trying to do. And we hold that over it because that's what we expect it to do. It's, it's ironic that we would do that. Okay, so what do we do when the God brings the nations to us? Um, so in this passage, Luke is driving home that in this crucial moment in the story of God, God brings the nations to the disciples. And God has brought the nations to us through uh, people coming here to study, education, business, tourism, uh, immigration. God has brought the nations to us. What are some practical things we can do to take the gospel to the nations without even leaving home? One of the most practical things we can do is, uh, is just befriend people. Um, a few years ago when I was talking to someone, first family at Five Oaks that I met that came, that I knew came from the new neighborhoods around Eastridge, all right? And so, very first family, and I don't know what we were talking, and they were explaining, yeah, like, I don't know if they were exaggerating or not, but they said half of our neighbors are from India. And I'm like, wow, the world, <laughs> you know, has come to us. And I've heard that more than once now. And so the world has come to us. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, same thing in our workplaces. Depending on where you work, if you're a teacher, you have the nations have come to us. Uh, if you work at 3M, the nations have come to us. If you work in government, the nation has come to us. Nations have come to us. So befriend people from, the other nation, from other nations. Number two, be curious. 
There's nothing more exciting that if you're in another country, if you're visiting another country and someone is interested in you as an American, um, it feels good because sometimes you think, well, people in other nations just hate us. And uh, a friend of mine was in Australia recently and his son-in-law says, we got to go to so-and-so's house because he loves talking to Americans. You know, it, it makes you feel good. It's the same when the nations come to us, when we're curious about their life back home. And um, so uh, number three, offer to help navigate the city and the culture. You know, have somebody comes to our country to work and they're in your division or they have an office close to you or a cubicle close to you or they work, you know, not far from you um, or they're a student, uh, a freshman from another country. Say, let's have lunch together. And when you have lunch together, say, what's it been like? Hey, if you need some help kind of navigating things, you know, I'll, I'll help you do that. Uh, I, I remember coming from Florida uh, to go to college up here, having grown up in South Florida. It took me three years to discover that you don't wear the same clothes all winter long that you wear in the summer in South Florida. It took me three years to discover that. I mean, I wore short sleeve shirts. I didn't wear any undershirts. Um, I didn't walk around like in shorts, and I did wear a coat, but I was cold all the time. I mean, all the time. And I just, I don't notice things. So you say, well, why? I don't notice things. Ask my wife. I, I don't notice things. She, t today, she put some food in a bag right where I'm going to have to walk by it. I didn't say it to her. I said, did you put it in the car? She goes, no, it's right there. Like, I just walked by it. And I almost said, you know I'm going to walk right over that. I'll just. <laughs> and I won't. I won't notice, and, uh, and it, it might be something that if I don't have it, it's going to hurt me, and I still won't notice it. So three years to discover how to dress. It would have been so nice if somebody put their arm around and said, you're from a foreign nation, South Florida, <laughs> and, uh, and here's, you know, I notice you're wearing a short sleeve shirt. Are you, like, hot, you know, cold-blooded or whatever? Does it feel good to be, you know, cold all the time? Um, no, I'm dying, <laughs> you know, that's what I would have said. Uh, so anyways, it, there's a lot of things like that that uh, can be very, very difficult for somebody to come from another country and multiply at times 100 or 200. Uh, so when a friend of mine moved to Houston years ago, they found uh, this, this on their stuff you might need. And it just leads, it has electricity, Wi-Fi, gas, trash, all these kinds of things, just to, to help them, the best grocery store, a great Mexican restaurant. And then it, down here towards the bottom, it has 89.3 KSBJ is a great Christian radio station. Okay, they haven't met yet, but that's what they put on there. And, um, and then uh, it's filled with summer ideas to do with the kids on their website, Church First Baptist Magnolia. Guess where they wound up going? That's, where, that's their church. And, um, and then feel free to come over uh, or, or call. And uh, they gave their number underneath. I didn't include that, so you people don't prank them. Um, <laughs> what if we showed that kind of love and care towards neighbors who come from another nation? Uh, in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces 
or even in our schools and our classrooms. Uh, Another one is partner with an international student ministry. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, in a few moments because we have a couple of organizations out there that can help you do that that are out in our commons. Another one is invite, an Ameri invite a family to or an individual to an American holiday tradition or a tradition like a barbecue in the backyard and just explain, you know, culturally what's happening uh, there. And then we talk about bless a lot and in your sermon uh, application guide, it explains what bless is, but include uh, a person who's an immigrant or a refugee or a, um, a person here with a work visa, include some of those people in your bless list. I have a video that we're going to show you just a, a small portion of. It's called The Foreigners Among Us, and uh, if, like my wife, if you have trouble hearing um, you may have trouble because you can't see the guy's lips a lot of times when he's talking, but you want to go and watch this later. The Foreigners Among Us this is really good. It's about a 10-minute video. We're going to watch a couple of minutes of it, a little portion about Minneapolis, and uh, let's, let's watch it right now. About six years ago, I, I was driving in Burnsville, Minnesota, which is the third largest community of Somalis in Minnesota, and uh, I uh, rear-ended a man named Muhammad, and uh, I hit him like five miles an hour, you know, but he gets out holding his neck, and he calls an ambulance, and they come, and they take him away, and I end up getting papers a few weeks later, getting sued. I remember thinking to myself, oh, you should just go back to Africa, mister. And uh, but that was like the moment God got a hold of me and said, this is not the heart I want you to have. I started praying for Muhammad and I just, I found that the prayer changed my heart. God really changed my heart. Where before I might've crossed the street uh, to avoid a Somali, now I cross the street to engage. I became a believer right before college, and uh, you know my idea of missions was probably the same as most people. It's you get on a plane, and you cross a body of water, and you go into another country. And uh, I had never thought about missions as far as reaching those people who come to us. But now, with the great migration happening in the world, people are starting to realize that reaching people who God has sent to us is actually a very strategic ministry, and we need to take advantage of this. One of the first families we invited over for dinner, the husband, he stops right in the middle of dinner and he says, today is a very historic day for our family. And I'm thinking, well, something spectacular happened back in Somalia and he says well we've lived in America for 14 years and today is the very first day we've ever been invited into an American's home. So there's a couple couple of minutes from it. What an incredible story. Today's a very special day because this is, after 12 years, the first time we've been invited into an American's home. Well, as we do every week, we have an extension of the sermon that happens in the commons, and uh, we have three organizations represented today. 
that align with what we're talking about. Uh, one at the far end table is the hospitality center at the University of Minnesota. And many of you have helped serve meals down there um, when they have their, their meals together. But they will do all kinds of things that connect uh, us with uh, students who are there, international students who are there. And so they'll, they'll connect volunteers with students and scholars, or scholars. Um, same thing, they'll do the same thing with partner churches. And you know, they say that as, as a friendship is developed and they have ideas for how to develop that friendship, which usually means not carving out more time in my busy life, but including people in the life that I live. And so that's usually the best way to think about it. Um, so there's 10,000 international students. Most of them have never heard the gospel, and they're right at our doorstep. 10,000 in Minnesota. And students are eager to get to know Americans and to, to make friends and to enjoy activities around the Twin Cities. A lot of times they, they don't even have the ability to, you know, to get around very, very well, especially in the first year, second year here. Um, and they may be dressing like South Floridian or something like that. You can help them with that. So stop by the table, and you can ask, hey, how can I get involved this summer? Or what is a friendship match? How does that work? Um, can I ask for someone from a particular country? And, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, in the middle of the three tables is Arrive Ministries. We've worked with Arrive Ministries for years and years, sometimes really, really deeply. And these, this is a ministry that seeks to live out the command and help churches live out the command to welcome refugees and immigrants. They provide case management services for new immigrants, but they also equip and encourage and empower local churches to befriend new neighbors. And so you can stop by there and learn a little bit more about that. Some of you um, have, and some of you maybe still are doing tutoring uh, through uh, connections made with Arrive Ministries. Uh, we used to work with uh, the Karen people. When they came in, we would set up all their apartments with furniture and that sort of thing because some of our members just started that ministry and carried it out for, for, for years. Uh, the, the last ministry is the one that's closest to you as you go out. It's Bridges. And um, so Bridges is an arm of crew. And uh, it reaches out to international students uh, on college campuses it's primarily in the U.S., but now it's starting to get to places like London and Paris as well. Uh, and it's a five-ochre, Di Zimmerman, who will be at the table because that's the ministry that she works in. And, um, and so one of the things that she gets to do is locally uh, help uh, connect international students. At the, she connects with international students at the University of Minnesota. Her broader role is to encourage and also coach, especially coach and equip new missionaries as they're sent to Bridges teams all across the United States. And that's the work she does. You can go there and there's a bunch of questions you can ask her. You know, what happens when an international student graduates? Where do they go from here? What is it like for missionaries who originally come to the U.S. as international students? What's, you know, what are some of their unique needs uh, students as they live and work abroad. You can ask all those questions. Uh, but veil yourself. Um, check it out uh, when you're leaving. Well, let's begin uh, our response. That's part of our response, but let's begin our response right here. 
as why uh, as we remember why we have this mission and what is the message what what are we witnessing to well we remember what Jesus told his disciples on the night he was betrayed he took the bread of Passover and he said this is my body broken for you take and eat and remember And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. It establishes a new covenant with me. And it is about the forgiveness of our sins. His blood was shed for our forgiveness. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being a God that is for us and for the nations that you so, so love the world. You love the nations, you love the people, that you gave your only begotten Son. Help us to share in your love, to live out that mission that you've given us, to be a part of what you are doing all around the world, but not just around the world, in our own neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our classrooms. Help, help us to be your witnesses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.